either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Don't look now, but we are getting dangerously close to the half the year mark. What? you believe that? No. Gotta start working on our best of the year so far. So will any of this week's movies qualify? We'll have to wait and see. Let's get at it. This is the Screening Room Podcast. Welcome. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. And let's start now with the ninth, count them, ninth installment in the Fast Saga. This is F9. I came here to take you down, little brother. That's your mistake. This is my world. Hold on. Tell me you're not thinking what I think you're thinking. There's no bridge! Oh, hell no. Yes, F9 now. So if you've been following along, that means that we've abandoned the laws of gravity and physics about seven and a half movies ago. Yes. Because it started out as street racers, right? A Mm -hmm. gang of... And now they've been, after all these many years and many movies, they've basically been recruited into super secret agents. From the and their work with the agency. That's all we ever hear about it. The That's agency. Right. The so, agency. Yeah. Mr. So, Nobody. Mr. Nobody. And they've got flying cars and just all, all these things. <laughs> which can be fun. It has been fun. I mean, I know that's that's the easy the easy rebuttal to when we start talking about movies like this. Like just lighten up, okay? It's fun. And actually last week we talked about a movie like that. We said The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard was stupid, ridiculous, but it was fun. Well, here's the thing. You know, a couple of a couple of installments back, I think they they kind of struck gold with a great balance between this family just super ridiculous melodrama the crazy yep. ass action and some lightness some lighthearted humor like the one where the rock you know he just he flexes <laughs> and he busts the cast yeah. off his arm and says daddy's got to go to work that's funny that, that's what's missing the one that i thought was was really hit a tone like that was f7 and that was directed by james, james wan yeah, yeah. And this one has is very, very light on humor and and totally absent of any of that welcome self awareness. Right. Because they are they've this is it's totally ridiculous. In this installment, and I'm not kidding you, they take a Plymouth Fierro into outer space. It's in outer space, people. I and, know it's got some sort of rocket on it, but still. Well, the point is, though, they don't do that and make a joke of it. They, you know, they're, it's super serious. Everything is so serious. This movie, it takes so much itself staring. way, way too seriously. And, and basically, we've got uh, Dom, Vin Diesel, of course, Dom and Letty, Michelle Rodriguez. They're, at the beginning of the movie, they're trying to live the quiet life with his son, little B, Brian. Well, that doesn't last too long. They're going to need a babysitter. Because the gang shows up and they have gotten an SOS from Mr. Nobody, Kurt Russell, that didn't really complete. So they're kind of fuzzy on what happened. But basically, Mr. Nobody is missing and he had captured Cypher, Charlize Theron. Mm -hmm. He had captured her. But part of this SOS was the fact that she's gotten away. So she's on the loose. He can't be found. And they have to spring back into action. The whole gang. So can I just say something? Can yeah. I just take a... Here is the movie I would rather watch. I would rather watch Snake from 
Escape from New York right. and Furiosa. I oh. want that movie. I want those two people, right. one chasing the other through whatever. I, I want to see that a hundred times before I want to have to watch this so, two and a half hour humorless nonsense. So you'd like Fast and Furiosa. I would. Yes, I would too. But anyway, so the gang gets back together and we find out that all after all these movies, we finally find out that Dom has a long lost brother, Jacob played by John Cena, and we haven't heard about it this whole time because they have beef going back to 1989 when their dad was racing stock cars, and he died in a crash that they sort of, who's to blame for that? Is one of them to blame? So So all these years of Dom talking about family, he didn't mean it. That's exactly right. So the plot centers on each side trying to get both halves of this device that when made whole will allow the user to take over control of every weapons system on Earth, okay? so And it just turns out that Jacob and his team already have half of that. So they have to, so our team, the agency, has to uh, spring into action and prevent that from happening. And we see a lot of faces from all the entire franchise, even in small one-scene roles, like Helen Mirren is back. And then you've got the guys from Tokyo Drift, and they're back. And you've got um, a, a character that we thought was dead. And so when all these people come back, you get a lot of exposition explaining either what they've been doing or why they're not dead. And, <laughs> and, and, and actually, at the beginning, it has some, a lot of that, uh, at the beginning, has a lot of that usual automotive gymnastics that's going on and flying cars and stuff. And then it really settles into a lot of just spy game business. Still, they're, they're driving cars fast, but the, the story is really about the spy game before it wraps up again with ridiculousness with the cars. You know, and John Cena, that's one of the things that's wasted. I like John Cena. I think in the right role, he, he has a lot of charisma, especially when he's allowed to be a little bit mischievous. He's funny. Yeah. He's very funny. You know, when I first saw that he was going to be in this, I kind of thought, okay, well, he's stepping into The Rock's role because he's a giant and he's funny, but they don't let him be funny. No, not at all. It's just the two of them staring. And steely eyes and clenched jaws. And and it's just so funny to me that each time he, as much as Vin Diesel likes to flex, again, he's got a guy that's so much bigger than he is. I mean, The Rock, my God. You're going to try to get chesty with The Rock? And then the same thing with John Cena. He's he's not as tall as The Rock, but my God. He's he's made out of stone. Exactly. (laughs) uh, So, yeah, I think John Cena, who, who is talented and can really bring a lot to it, uh, is wasted here, yeah. and pretty much uh, pretty much everybody is. To me, it, it really gets tedious. There's zero, zero humor and self-awareness about it. They try to make up for the lack of Hobbs and Shaw with uh, Tyrese Gibson and Chris Bridges, Ludacris. They try to do a little humor, just bickering back and forth, but it, it just ends up as being silly. It's not that welcome, like you mentioned, that, that wink-wink sort of stuff that mm-hmm. came to be, for I think for me and for you, the highlights of the entire franchise, oh, those yeah. two. Really? Yeah, yeah. No There's question. none of that. None of that. It takes itself way, way too seriously. So you've got a lot of nostalgia. At the same time, they're trying to invent new threads. And as the and as you you alluded to there, the running time starts ballooning. It just feels real tedious. But if this is your thing, you've been waiting for this on the big screen. And I did see the IMAX version. So if you want that, you've got the IMAX version possible in in theaters. You'll you'll get it. You'll get explosions and you'll get this incredible electro magnet they c- carry around and can get them out of jams. Don't ask. Uh, and then the and the flying cars and the space cars and all that stuff. So if you love this franchise, I think uh, you're still going to like this. I, I just found this one just as a big thud with no humor. I really want the humor back. But 
if you go, be sure to stay through the credits because there there is a surprising stinger that uh, gives you a little bit of clue of what's coming in uh, episode 10, which I think is also going to be directed by, I didn't even mention, Justin Lin is back to direct this one. And this is his fifth. It's his fifth installment. And it sounds like he's going to be back for a sixth, for number 10. But yeah, so you get a stinger that uh, might surprise you a little bit where they take a Prius to the top of Mount Everest. No. no. But why not? I don't know I mean, why not. I mean, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, not exactly huge. Submarine car. Right. Not exactly huge fans of this franchise. But if you are, it'll give you more of what you like. And that is F9, the fast saga in theaters this weekend. Let's have some fun with horror comedy next. This is the big screen adaptation of the video game where werewolves attack a small town. It's Werewolves Within. I know it's easy to get caught up in the fear of the situation. I know it's easy to point the finger and fear each other. But can we all just take a breath? Hold off on being enemies. All I'm asking is that you be a good neighbor. Like Mr. Rogers. With guns, though. With guns, yes. Boy, we've mentioned before that you can count on one hand the successful video game to feature film adaptations. But here's one you can add to the win column because this one works. Oh, it does. And it's just it's just a blast. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. And it's interesting to me because it strikes the perfect tone right off the bat. They show you, you've got sort of this creepy music, and then they show you a partial quote, and you know, more of the quote is coming, and more of the quote is coming, and at the end, it's basically, it is a quote from Fred Rogers. Right, right. But they have this creepy music in the back. It's hysterical, and it's such a refreshingly upbeat, let's just be nice to each other uh, movie. I just loved it. Yeah, and that is personified by Ranger, Ranger Finn, and he's played by Sam Richardson. He gets a new assignment. He comes to this small Vermont town just when there seems to be an outbreak of bloodshed. And, hmm, what's going on? And as he meets some of the eccentric personalities in town. Of course, so do we. And then there's a storm coming through, and next thing you know, all the principals are holed up in this lodge in the town where suspicion starts falling on pretty much everybody. Who's killing people? Is it a werewolf? And if it is a werewolf, are you a werewolf? Yeah. And then it becomes a whodunit, sort of an Agatha Christie mixed with Jaws comedy. You you see the homages clearly, especially with Jaws. I mean, it starts with... And the jo- thing. And Those the are thing. the two big ones. But I mean, that first kill oh, yeah. is so Jaws. So Jaws. And then there's a character named Flint... But it's lovingly done. So, I mean, it's, it's very clear. It's not like they're stealing. No. They're homaging. Oh, no. yeah. Yeah. The thing, for sure. But uh, it's fun trying to figure out who could it be because it's directed by Josh Rubin, and it is uh, written by Mishnah Wolf. And they do a good job of giving you a little bit here, a little bit there. First of all, is there even a werewolf? Yeah, uh, I think that's one of the things that it, that it pulls off the best is... It's the whodunit of it, really, and the the mystery that's being solved. And it does have such an Agatha Christie feel because you're inside this lodge, which is actually sort of a, you know, a converted mansion. It might make you think of Knives Out for a minute. Yeah. It's got such a great throwback idea to that. And there's a lot. We've seen it twice now, and there's so many great lines. There were some that we picked up the second time because as the scene goes on, 
just when the scene is about to end, there might be a little throwaway line just under a breath before that. And those are funny, too. So you really want to try to listen to all the dialogue, which is, is often very, very sharp and funny. And all the characterizations are great. Uh, the, the ensemble cast really shines. Sam Richardson is good guy Finn. And then, of course, Milana, let me get this right, Milana Weintraub, who is, of course, better known to a lot of people as Lily, the AT&T girl. Uh, but she's really good in this. She, she plays the male, the male, the female man, the, the male, yeah, the male carrier, <laughs> the male carrier, the male carrier. Yeah, and she kind of introduces Finn around to everybody in town before things start getting serious. But she's good. And everybody is everybody though. Is. I mean, the whole cast. It's it's and right. they're mainly comic actors, and yeah. they do such a such a good job in this in this ensemble. And they they really carve out memorable characters. And like you said, though, I mean, they benefit from some great lines. And also. Josh Rubin, the director, I think you'll also notice in all the movies that he, he sort of homages, he also utilizes what you might call the um, Edgar Wright visuals. Yeah. A lot of scene transitions yep, and yep. things going on. He, you know, he's seen uh, Hot Fuzz and, <laughs> uh, and Shaun of the Dead, and that's very well placed. So it's all in all, it's just a really good time. And it is Werewolves Within, and that is in theaters. It's in select theaters this weekend. Wide and, next. And then wide next weekend. But really, I think you'll have a good time with uh, with that one, Werewolves Within. How about horror? No comedy with this next one. Two mysterious siblings find themselves at odds over care for their frail and sickly younger brother. This is called My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. I thought you said this was a shelter. It is. Looks like a house. He's our brother. He's sick. We shouldn't be doing the things that we're doing. We can't do it without you. It has to be the three of us, together. What do you get me some blood? This one is in select theaters this weekend, also on Prime Video. And this is a real, it, I would almost say it's a, it's a character study, but not just about one character. There's, there's really three. It's a, it focuses on a really tight-knit family with one very special member. So it ends up being a vampire tale that never really mentions the word vampire. It's really a beautiful film. It's very sad. It's incredibly well acted. The cinematography is absolutely just outstanding in the way that uh, the exteriors just feel very hopeless. And the interiors are so, they're so claustrophobic, but they're so beautifully framed, gorgeously framed. The performances are wonderful. And it's, for me, it's a horror film that mines, I think, sacrifice and and what it's like to live in a family with, you know, a debilitating illness. I think that this is a, a topic to a certain degree that has become a little bit more common in horror films. I think usually you see it, we've seen it more like more often with dementia mm -hmm. and, and children dealing with parents who have dementia. But I think that this isn't that far afield from that. It's it's really about the sacrifices and the, and the pain and the trauma that a whole family goes through in trying to care for one ill member. And all three performances are just wonderful. Yeah, the writer-director is Jonathan Quartus. And the performances, yeah, Patrick Fugit, who you might remember from the, he's the boy from Almost Famous yep. many years ago. He plays Dwight, and then his sister, Jessie, is Ingrid Sophie Schramm. And they are, they're all living together with their younger brother, Thomas, who must be cared for, and he's played by Owen Campbell. 
And all three of them are great. And they are great. Part of caring for him, the brother and the sister, they have to provide him with blood. Mm-hmm. And so you can probably guess how they do that a lot of times. And especially Dwight, this is having, it's placing an incredible burden on Dwight he, and how him, he's doing this and how he can keep doing it. And he, it's clear he wants to leave not only the situation, but the area. And his sister makes it clear that they cannot do this without him. So he is really conflicted. Yeah, and I think in a lot of ways, it could have been a tiresome metaphor about a man feeling constricted by his family and needing to break free. And it never does become that. It really doesn't. There is so much loneliness Mm -hmm. in this film, freedom or no. And all three characters are really very strong. I really love the way the younger brother is portrayed as very naive and awkward. You get the sense from his performance that he's this is all he's ever been, right? Yeah. He's certainly not grown up in the way other teenagers have. And the the sister as well, God, she's so wonderful because she's just, you know, there's a cruelty that she levels toward both of her brothers that isn't sincere. She doesn't mean to be cruel, but she, this situation is exactly as hopeless for her as it is for anybody else. I think that there is real authenticity and tenderness in the family dynamic here. And I think one of the big selling points about the film is that it works both ways. If you want to take it literally to the letter as a vampire story, mm-hmm. you can. If you want to take it and take even take the vampire stuff out of it and just view it as a family drama, it will work that way too. And that's a real accomplishment for not only uh, writer director Quartus, but the, the cast as well. So this is one you can catch in select theaters and also on Prime Video, and we recommend it. My heart can't beat unless you tell it to. Let's go to Hulu next. As if getting pregnant weren't complicated enough, Lucy sets out to uncover the unsettling truth about her fertility doctor. This is false positive. There's a lot of voodoo out there. We just want to make sure that you get the best possible care. I'm not crazy. They're trying to make me think I'm crazy. Great, Lucy, just push. Hey, this pregnancy shit is no joke, right? Okay, it's really scary. Now, if you look this up, it's just listed as horror mystery thriller, but there's definitely a thread of black comedy running through this. Oh my goodness, yes. Yes, there absolutely is. Part of that is because Alana Glazer wrote and stars, and she's from Broad City. You expect yeah. her to be funny. And what's interesting is she is definitely not funny. She's very much the dramatic center of the film as Lucy, you know, uh, a woman who is just kind of desperate to become pregnant. And after two years of trying, she, her husband, played by Justin Throw, convinces her that they should get in touch with her, his old med school mentor, played to perfection by Pierce Brosnan. Dr. Hindle. And that's really where it gets, that's where the comedy comes in when they start going to this clinic, this fertility clinic with Dr. Hindle, because the nursing staff is directly out of Stepford Wives. You know, the place is just eerily perfect, eerily perfect. And then, you know, they'll show from her point of view, of course, as she's in the stirrups, what she's looking at between her legs. And these nurses come over and they're cradling every single 
appointment. It's a different instrument that will be inserted into her mm-hmm. that becomes, it's just these phallic instruments and they just, they pour this lubrication on it and they <laughs> rub it up and down. And it's funny. I mean, it's like, it really is. It's this just macabre SNL sketch that's always going on right between her legs at the other end of the table. It's very, and it's also very unsettling. Yeah. Um, well, I know it will especially speak, as it spoke to you, to anyone who has ever been pregnant. Yes. And the thing is, I was not a nice pregnant person. No, you were not. I was mean. And, you know, people talk that up to hormones. It wasn't hormones. It wasn't hormones. I could not tolerate the way people talked to me when I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. I can't stand to be patronized, to be coddled. I don't like when people touch me. <laughs> it's like you're an alien, like, teddy bear being when you're pregnant. And that's how everybody treats you. And that to me, was the most effective thing about this movie. Are these just sort of microaggressions that she faces that she's never right when she's suspecting anything and that she's just, it's mommy brain. And this <laughs> this movie just makes you, you know, wait for someone to throttle the next person who uses that phrase. So, for me, that's where it was more effective. I actually think that the, the storyline itself, the plot itself, is quite a bit weaker than the observations that the film makes from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And uh, Glazer, as you mentioned, she is the star and co-writer, and her co-writer and director is John Lee. So, uh, yeah, in less of a comedic way. I mean, Broad City was very observational, too. Yeah, in exactly. A, in a more outright, yeah. really confrontational and awkward yes. sort of humor, but yeah. very funny. Uh, this one this one uh, takes a different, a different approach to, yeah. uh, to still using observational humor, and in this case, sort of horror thrills right. to, to make its point. It's essentially Rosemary's Baby if instead of being supernatural, that one had been a medical horror. That's essentially yeah. what this film is. But that's not really where the strength is. The strength is in the observational horror that, that it brings with it. Yeah, so we think it's worth checking out. If you have a Hulu, you'll find False Positive. Let's move to Shudder next. A year after the death of his wife, a man enlists her sister to help him bring her back. This is an unquiet grave. Jules was killed. And tonight we're going to bring her back. Something was here, and it wasn't Jules. Stay in the car, Haven. I'm so sorry. Jamie, what did you do? I kept thinking if I could just see her, she'd be okay. There's something outside. Stop lying. What happened to her? No, 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 no. It's, it's what she wanted. No, you have to put it back. Please put it back. I know it's supposed to be like this. This is one of those movies that shows how much you can do with very little. Yeah, uh, it's only got two people in the cast. Uh, that's it. And you can sort of tell, I mean, the production values are fine, but you can sort of tell they were working with a limited budget. But I think they, they get maximum results out of this. It's uh, a story about reanimation, a very tried and true premise in horror. Mm-hmm. And right away, when you know it's about reanimation, we know what? We know that whoever is playing God, there's going to be a price to be paid, mm-hmm. right? The only question is how brutal that price is going to be and how bloody that price is going to be. In this one, it's, it's more understated. This movie is more about grief that propels the desire to reanimate than it is about the gore with what happens after. And it is, uh, it's co-written, and one of the stars is Christine Nyland. And then the co-writer and director is Terrence Cray. And Nyland plays Ava, and she is the twin sister 
of the woman who passed away in a car crash. And the uh, woman's the woman is Julie, Jules, the dead woman. Her husband, Jamie, played by Jacob A. Ware, he, the, the, the movie pretty much begins with them talking, Jamie and Ava talking in sort of abstract terms about the fact that he may be able to bring her back to life. Uh, and then it skips ahead some months to where, because Jamie makes it clear that if this is going to be done, she has to be a participant. It has to be. She has to be, or they can't do it. So we jump ahead a few months, and Ava's on board, and they, they go ahead with the ritual, which is out in the woods. They have, they have to go back to the site of the crash, the site of the death. And the, the rules of the ritual are a little bit fuzzy, but it involves you have to have a blood relative, obviously. That's the twin sister. And then there's a blindfold, and there's some burning of some sage before she, she gets, Jules gets brought back to life. And once that happens, I think the movie is is a little awkward. It's it's very hurried, uh, I think, after that, because that's a that's a big thing. You bring somebody back to life, and it seems to settle into a normalcy a little bit a little bit too soon. And there's the dialogue is a little bit stilted, but the two actors, especially for carrying all of the load, because obviously Nyland also plays the twin sister, uh, they have a good a chemistry, and they're able to to carry it, uh, being the only two cast members. So. I think it speaks a lot to what you have mentioned before in a lot, a lot of these moves, especially with the fact that you lost your mother so young, is that the nature of grief mm-hmm. and how, and this movie especially points out, how the dark moments of grieving can really be traced to a, a self-centeredness. Yes, because uh, it is. I mean, it's one of the only emotions that is just entirely yours. Everybody grieves on their own, in their own way, and and it's, it is. It's a selfish necessarily emotion to go through yeah and of course there are things that uh, about the the ritual you end up finding out that jamie may have not have have told ava before he got her involved and so things don't go quite as planned but it does speak to the fact that grief is very personal because early on uh, ava is grieving much differently and and actually in sort of a morbid way sometimes than jamie is but it's speaking to the fact that in a situation like this or a situation where grief comes up, both the living and the dead need peace. Right. And it's when you don't realize that and, and sort of put off that peace where uh, where things can go uh, go in wrong directions. And they certainly do here. And it definitely is understated. Don't get the, the idea that this is a big horror show with mm-hmm. all, all sorts of bloodletting. It's not. But it, but it is worth checking out. So if you have Shudder, um, this is An Unquiet Grave, which I, I like the title because it takes its title from an old folk song which they play at the end, which if you listen to the lyrics, is about a, a man who won't let his, his woman's memory find peace after she's dead because he just grieves too long and too hard, which goes right hand-in-hand uh, hand with this movie. So I think they do a pretty good job, especially for what they've got to work with. It almost makes you think of that it was a, it was a COVID production, right? you know, with the, with the limited cast and, and probably limited crew. But uh, they worked it out pretty well, and that is on Shutter, and it's called An Unquiet Grave. How about another horror comedy? Ah, oh, like this. A lonely assistant finally finds love and must escape her monster of a boss before she and her new love become his next meal. This one's called Too Late. Why are you booking but not performing? You know, I think we all start out with what we think we want to be. But we end up just being what we are. Heavy material on that, so it's not ideal. Violet, 
Both you and I know that comedians aren't really people. Showtime. Just don't make him mad, right? I mean, if Bob's not happy, nobody's happy. This is from D.W. Thomas's director, Tom Becker, wrote it. And it's very clear that that there is some honest experience in stand-up comedy and sort of late-night TV comedy. And, you know, that brand of entertainment. Brandon Thomas reviewed this one for us at MadWolf.com. And uh, he thought it was just wonderful. Mm -hmm. He really loved it. And it's funny, but I think one of the things that really drives it, the, the script is very smart, but also the performances feel very at home in this environment. Yeah, and the lead, uh, Violet, she's played by Alyssa Limperis. Limperis. And I knew, looking at her, I'm like, I know that woman. And I looked up her credits, and I thought, no, I haven't seen anything. And I think yesterday at dinner, it hit me. She's in one of those car commercials with Brie Larson, (laughs) (laughs) where she's the one who doesn't get the promotion. And Brie pulls up and says, drop the taco, get in the car. (laughs) That's this woman. So I just wanted everybody to relax. I found it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you'll recognize Fred Armisen and also Mary Lynn Reichsub is in it as well. And it is very knowing about the world of stand-up comedy. Yeah, it yeah. is. And the monstrous boss, Ron Lynch, uh, who who has himself hosted a late-night TV yeah. show. So, he, you know, that I think you can really feel that throughout this movie. And it's very smartly written. And it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, so check out Brandon's full review at MadWolf.com. And this is a bargain. Bargain watch on Prime for just $3.99. I think you'll like it. Too late. Boy, it seems that we've had a bunch of good documentaries lately, and we've got one more this week. This is a documentary on the life of renowned street artist Kenny Scharf. It's called Kenny Scharf, When Worlds Collide. Three artists, Scharf, Basquiat, and Herring, all came together at the same moment. Some kind of magnets drew them together. They brought a vitality that just hadn't been there. He was obsessed. He had to make it. Spending some time with Kenny is like an immersion into his whole aesthetic world. Money, Bring it in. Artists have to rediscover endlessly. They can't just go forward doing what they're doing. They have to extend it. Many people think I'm crazy, and I think that's okay. This is another one. Uh, Christy Robb reviewed this one for us at MadWolf.com. Loved it. Four and a half stars out of five. Yeah, she loved it. If you don't know much about Kenny Sharp, he was in with Basquiat yep. and with Keith Haring in that whole New York art scene that mm-hmm. has just become legendary. And this is uh, co-written and co-directed by Max Bash and Malia Scharf. So it gives you a really good introduction if you're not familiar, or if you are familiar, a really deeper dive into a, a real inspirational and innovative artist. And yeah, she just couldn't stop raving. Find out why. Check out the full review at MadWolf.com. And that is Kenny Scharf, When Worlds Collide, in theaters now. And one more this week. It's a biographical crime drama about the aging Meyer Lansky, investigated one last time by the feds who suspect he has stashed away millions of dollars over half a century. It's called Lansky. They still consider you part of the underworld. We weren't the underworld. We were the overworld. Lansky has $300 million squirreled away, and we want your help finding it. Now, we could let it slip to Mr. Lansky that you've been sharing his secrets. That's not going to go well for you. I'm an angel with a dirty face. Is that what you tell yourself so you can sleep at night? I have to tell myself anything when I go to sleep at night. 
the way we live. It's business. Well, it's funny. That synopsis sounds more like the Capone movie that Tom Hardy did earlier this year. This is really a little bit, this this is more, uh, to me, a little bit more like The Irishman, only in that it's an aging mafioso looking back on his life. But in this case, he's being interviewed by a character who is played by Sam Worthington, Australian Sam Worthington, who struggles a bit with his Pittsburgh accent, I'll tell you what. (laughs) Yeah, and it's one of those that goes back to, like the Irishman, but they don't use de-aging here. No. The younger Lansky is played by John Magaro, and then the older Lansky is the great Harvey Keitel. Yes, it is. The great Harvey Keitel. Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us, and she got the short end of the stick this week in terms of assignments, apparently, because we got a four-star, four-and-a-half-star a two and a half star. Yeah, this is a just uneven. Yeah, pretty middling, really. Yeah, it's writer and director Iten Rockaway. That's a cool name. But uh, yeah, I mean, right away I was drawn. My interest was piqued by Harvey Keitel, Absolutely. playing Meyer Lansky for sure. Uh, but yeah, pretty uneven and doesn't really get the uh, the results that they were going for. And that is available. Oh, that's also out in theaters and VOD this week. And if you want to check out uh, Rachel's full review, that is also at MadWolf.com. All right, no, so no lobby this week, no schlocketeer. He had the unmitigated gall to go on vacation. That's right. So he's he's out on location somewhere rocking out with a schlock out. <laughs> yes, so we'll have double the uh, studio news next week. And speaking of next week, we've got a big one, The Tomorrow War, coming out. I believe that one's on Prime. That'll be out next week. And The Forever Purge. The Purge saga continues. Boss Baby 2. How we've been waiting for Boss <laughs> Baby 2. Here's the one you have been waiting for, Summer of Soul. Oh, man. Cannot wait. Uh, we so wanted to catch that. It was part of Sundance, the virtual Sundance, that we tried to get in and somehow did. I am so looking forward to Summer of Soul. Also, Zola is another one I'm very yes. excited about. That's the one about the, the twi- they turned a Twitter thread. I suppose it was only a matter of time. Right. They turned a Twitter thread into a movie, and the early word is it's great. Yeah. Uh, the Phantom comes out as well. The God Committee. And Vicious Fun. Who doesn't like some vicious fun? We'll find out what uh, that is about next week, along with all of those. So what do you think? You a fan of the Fast Saga? All nine installments? Let us know. And what you thought about Werewolves Within? Because uh, I, I've got, I think, anybody that sees that, I'd be shocked if you didn't think it was a great time. Uh, but but let us know. We always love to keep the conversation going about all these movies and more. You can find us easily on Twitter. It's at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also, the Facebook and Instagram pages are at Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews from not only the two of us, but the whole Mad Wolf pack. That's at MadWolf.com. You can also find our other podcast, Horror Movie Only podcast called Fright Club. Brand new episode this week, by the way. All that's at MadWolf.com. So a lot going on. We hope to hear from you. And uh, until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>